0: Good to see all of you here today. We're excited about all the things that God is doing. Baptism's coming up, and um, that's going to be great. Don't, don't miss that. Please come to that. You know, many years ago, um, I was a student at Roosevelt High School. I know that some of you find that very shocking. I know my daughters do, think that I was actually a teenager at one time. Um, but we'd often go to football games on Friday night, and after we'd go to a football game, uh, we'd, we'd go out to eat. And so on this particular night after a football game, uh, we, we, decided to, we decided to spend a little more money. We decided to splurge, so we decided to go to Denny's. Um, and it was right there in Montebello, right off the 60 freeway near Wilcox Avenue. And I believe it's the Denny's is still there. So we went there to Denny's. Uh, because we really couldn't afford, uh, well, we couldn't uh, afford uh, something bigger than that, but this was, this was kind of big for us in terms of our budget. So we went there, and uh, I actually found a menu uh, from um, Denny's around that time, and this is kind of what it looks like. Some of you might remember it if you're as older as, as, as I am, but back then, um, about early 70s, Denny's hamburger was 65 cents, uh, French fries 30 cents, an order of french fries, a glass, a glass of coke was 15 cents, a cup of coffee was 15 cents. And so, uh, again, this was a lot of money for us, for, for especially for a bunch of crazy poor Asians. So, <laughs> so we decided to go there and, um, and have, a good, have a nice meal after, after the football game. So we got there, we arrived there, and after we got our seat, which took some time to get, we were virtually ignored. Uh, we we were just completely ignored. After we got there, uh, we we were waiting for a a menu. We were waiting for some water, and so we noticed that others came in after us, and they were seated, and they were already getting their food, and they were being attended to. And so we were sitting there waiting for our food, and we would call out. uh, We try to get the attention of the server. Excuse me, excuse me, can we have some menus, please? Excuse me, excuse me, can we have some water here? Can, excuse me, can we, can we have a cup of coffee here? And all of our pleas for some service went ignored. And the minutes just ticked by, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And, and I began to wonder whether or not we were being singled out, um, whether we were being discriminated against. I thought about my own parents and the discrimination they faced um, being incarcerated during World War II and all those kinds of things. Well, 20 minutes rolled by, and I had reached, I just got to a boiling point. I just reached a boiling point. And finally, right there in the restaurant, I stood up out of my seat right there at the table. And um, in a voice loud enough for everyone in the restaurant to hear, I asked, why aren't you serving us? Those people came here after we did, and they've got their food already. And those people came in after we did. Why aren't you serving us? And I said it in a really loud voice, are you, and I actually said this, are you, are you being racist? Are you discriminating against us? And I said all those things really loudly, and it was, it was really an awkward moment um, for, I think, everybody, especially my friends, but all the eyes were focused on me, and hush just fell over the restaurant. You could hear a pin drop. And after I was done just kind of venting, uh, I coaxed my friends, let's get out of here, let's get out of here. And we all walked out. In a huff, we walked out. Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like you've been discriminated against? Have you ever felt like you were treated unfairly? It felt like someone was trying to stab you in the back? How did you react? Well, that's kind of how I reacted. And As I look back, uh, it wasn't one of my stellar moments. And I wish I could tell you that the restaurant... Uh, The manager came up during that and just, or as we were walking out and apologized and offered me a free Grand Slam breakfast for the rest of my life. But they didn't. And in hindsight, I can't say with absolute certainty that the servers were discriminated against us or were being prejudiced. And I just want to say, I don't believe Denny's. I don't believe that they're a racist organization by any means. I've eaten there countless of times since then. Maybe just that evening, they just happened to be shorthanded. Maybe that was what happened, but, but I didn't respond very well. And I was uh, around 17 at the time, and I wasn't a Christian, far from being a Christian, but if I was, if I was a Christian, my faith would have demanded, it would have required that my response be different in a situation like that. You see, how we behave Especially if we call ourselves Christians, how we behave really matters. It really matters. Um, today, we've, we're finally uh, a week away. We're finally a week away from wrapping up this series that we've been in called God Inside. It's, about, it's been about the Holy Spirit. And I hope it's been really insightful to you. I hope you've learned a lot and learned about the, the person of the Holy Spirit and how he lives inside of us. And for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking the nine fruits of the Spirit that are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse twenty. 2 and 23. And I just want to say that the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a Christian is absolutely essential because it is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually living inside of us. It's absolutely crucial. The Apostle John put it this way, and by the way, you have, hopefully you received Baywatch when you walked in. We got a sheet in there with all the verses listed there for you and some fill-ins if you'd like to, if you'd like to do that thing. You can also open up our, uh, our app. We have a South Bay app. You can get it at the Apple Store, the, the Play Store, and download that, and you can follow along. Everything is there for you as well, including all of the Baywatch announcements, or you can look at the screen, or your own Bible, but uh, the Apostle John put it this way. When I say that if you're a Christian, then there's a certain expectation as to how you live your life, and he put it this way, First John 4.20, and it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. If anyone says he loves God but he hates his brother, he is a liar. I mean, in other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't say you love God and then you turn around and you hate the people around you. You can't have it both ways. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, then there must be spiritual fruit and there must be spiritual transformation. You might have been a hater before, but if you meet Christ, then you can't continue to be a hater. If you're an alcoholic before, you can't continue. You've got, to, you've got to start making some changes. It may not come overnight. might not happen instantly. But there needs to be some fruit. And, and thus, the fruit of the Spirit serves as a litmus test of our faith. It is kind of the benchmark. Or it is kind of the measuring stick of our faith. So if you want to know whether or not you're a genuine Christ follower or not, examine to see whether or not you have the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Now, if you're a fairly new believer, then the fruit of the Spirit may just Be beginning to bud in your life. You may just start seeing a little bit of it now, but if you're an old believer, and I don't mean old in your age, but I'm talking about old in terms of you've been a Christian a long time or a while, then there ought to be more fruit. There ought to be bunches of fruit. There ought to be bushels of fruit. Now, today I want to unpack the last two fruits of the Spirit for us, gentleness and faithfulness, or I'm sorry, gentleness and self-control. That would be fruit number eight and nine, And then next week, we're going to go back and finish off fruit number seven, which is faithfulness. And the reason we're going to tackle faith, we're taking this out of order is because Pastor Dave kind of wanted to speak about uh, the fruit of faithfulness. Now, I don't think he's going to be able to do the entire message, but you're going to hear a little bit from him. It might even be by by video, um, and I'll explain that in a second. But that'll be next week, and then we'll be done with this series. But we wanted to take it out of order because he got married last weekend. Pastor Dave is a married man, if you can believe that. He's a married man. It's the first time I've ever seen him kiss Sarah, right, or anybody else for that matter. But, um, and that's a good thing. But uh, we decided to give him, you know, being the good boss that I am, I decided to give him the weekend off since he just got married last weekend, although, although uh, he has been sticking around all week. He didn't, he and Sarah decided to put off their honeymoon until January because he's had to stick around all week to receive his radiation treatments. Uh, if you didn't know, a couple months ago, he's diagnosed with uh, tongue cancer. So he's had to stick around to continue to get his treatment. So he didn't go on his honeymoon. So he's been around, but we still wanted to just say, hey, just take a break this week. Um, and then you can come back next week and kind of finish it off. So, uh, but um I just want to ask you to pray for him because he's now in going on week three. He's got six weeks to go. And I think the radiation is really beginning to affect his his tongue and his mouth. So um, you'll, you'll notice that a little bit if you speak to him. But it's getting a little more difficult, and it's getting more difficult to swallow again and, and all those kinds of things. So I just want to ask you to keep him in your prayers. And I also want to ask you to keep Matt Rodriguez in your prayer. Matt is a young man who comes to our church uh, and we talked about him at Easter, and a lot of you wrote cards and letters to him, and you you gave some do- monetary donations to help the family. But Matt has uh, been battling cancer. He's 18, and uh, he had a setback this week, and is back in the hospital, and with it, fighting an infection. And um, I know his grandma's here today, Vicky. And and Matt's been having a really tough time with it. So let's let's pray for for Matt's healing. I can't imagine months and months and months in the hospital. And then let's pray for uh, Hokkaido, which uh, had another 5.0 earthquake this morning, or it would be evening there. And uh, uh, quite a few people, I think about 40 people, have been killed uh, were killed in that in that uh, earthquake. Let's just pray that God would use all these natural disasters in Japan and throughout Japan. Uh, some in the south as well, the, the, the typhoons, uh, to, to draw the people's gaze to him and get their attention. So let's pray, and then we'll get into today's message, okay? Father, thank you. Gosh, it's so good to be here, Lord. I, I can't imagine, gosh, not, not being able to come here and, and be here. And I, I think about Matt, who's, who's missed church for months now because he has been so sick. And, God, we just, you know, our hearts just go out to him. And, God, we just come before you and plead with you, God, and beg you, God, just to touch this young man as, he, as he's been battling cancer for, for months now. And, God, this week, as you know, just as a young man, an 18-year-old man, God, I can't even imagine how difficult this has been for him. So we pray, Father. We pray as a church, hundreds of prayers. We just want to lift them up to you right now. Please touch him. Please touch him. Please bring healing to his body. Please remind Matt that you are with him every single moment. And God, we pray for Pastor Dave too as he he continues his radiation treatments. I know he's kind of getting to that point in, in his treatments where it's starting to get a little harder now. And I pray, God, that your grace and your favor would be upon him, that you would help him, that you would help him to keep strong and healthy throughout it all. And we pray, God, for, for the effectiveness of the radiation, that it would, it would knock all the cancer cells that might be that might be remaining in his body, knock it all out. And Father, I know that there are other people in our church. I prayed for someone this morning, Gina. And I know there are others who are battling cancer and some kind of illness and some kind of hurt and some kind of brokenness. And God, I just pray for your, your healing touch to be upon them as well. And Father, pray for Hokkaido that God, as, as they've experienced another large earthquake just a few moments ago, God, we, we're, we're thankful, Father, that all of our friends that we know of are all, have all been marked safe. And God, we, we ask that you would use the churches that are there to mobilize them, God, to become an army in and in a, in a banner of love for you. We pray that you would use them to spread the good news and we pray that you would bring, use them to bring relief to those who are hurting, that somehow through disaster and tragedy, the light of Christ would shine and help us as a church to even know, for us to even know what we can do. So, God, we, we thank you for our time together today. I ask, God, that your word would speak to us. God, I ask that this vessel would be, would be a, a vessel that would bring all glory and honor to you. So, God, we commit this morning to you. Again, help me speak, speak through me, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's been a uh, it's supposed to take the month off from speaking, and I and I did that. But it's been kind of a stressful. Last two weeks have been kind of stressful for me and our family because a couple of Mondays ago, my 91-year-old mom, who would usually be here this morning, was hospitalized uh, for some kind of an intestinal thing. She she woke up on Monday morning, gave me a call, and says Gary, I don't feel well, and then uh, she you know proceeded to just be sick all day. And then when the next when she wasn't any better the next day. Um, I went over to, she came on down with a pretty high fever, tried to lift her up, couldn't even get her up. So I called uh, uh, paramedics and they came and took her to the hospital and she's been there uh, ever since. And it was toward the end of the week, she she was finally diagnosed with uh, salmonella poisoning. And so we don't know how she got that or what she ate, but, but she's been pretty sick. And finally, last Saturday, they thought she was well enough to be discharged to a rehab center. So that's where she's been. But gosh, it's been kind of just up and down at the rehab center. So I've been, my brother and I have been going there every single day after work and before work and all those kinds of things. So it's a little bit, been a little bit stressful and, and tiring for us. Uh, and it's been kind of up and down. I think that when you're 91 years old, your, your body doesn't bounce back as quickly as it would if, uh, if, you're, if, a, if you're younger. But through this ordeal, I've just got to s- s- share this. Through this ordeal, I've come to have a greater appreciation for all those who are in the healthcare profession. I mean, the way that um, the healthcare professionals have treated my mom so professionally, so uh, so caringly, uh, has really been uh, impressive to me. And, I, and to all of you who work in the medical field, the healthcare field, I just want to thank you so much for what you do. I don't think that you're appreciated well enough for, for what you do. Uh, you know, one of the One of the nurses, and I I mean that of the doctors and nurses and the occupational and physical therapists and the nutritionists and all those who come by and those who are just assistants there cleaning and everything. Thank you so much. But, you know, one of the nurses that my mom had was so gentle, she would call her mama. And, uh, you know, when I heard that, it just really touched my heart that, you know, she she didn't even know this lady, but she'd call her mama. Hey, mama, how are you doing, mama? And, and, uh, of course, my mom would kind of perk up at that as well, and she felt like she was genuinely cared for. And it reminded me just how important gentleness is. That gentleness is such an important quality. And yet, and yet, gentleness is not one of those virtues that we exalt in in our society. I mean, I think it's kind of disdained in our culture because we associate gentleness with with being soft or wimpy or or weak. I think about um, something as simple as paper towels. When, you, when you're looking for paper towels, you're not looking for something that's soft and gentle, but you want something that's brawny and tough. You know, you want to clean up the mess. And, and the same thing with a car. If I pulled up the church in this car, you'd probably wonder, Pastor Gary, are you okay? Like, why does your car have eyelashes? Like, have you just gone off the deep end? I mean, like, what is going on with you? You know, we we don't esteem or value cars that are gentle or soft. We want them built for tough. You know, that's kind of the yeah. Somebody, yeah, amen, right? You know, so, and we want them big. Those big SUVs that come rolling down the streets. And so, the, so the truth is, we don't put a high premium on gentleness in our society, in our culture. Yet, it is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is so important that the Apostle Paul said a couple things about gentleness. Take a look at Philippians 4, 5. He said, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let it be evident to all. And then in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, he said this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and what? Gentleness. Walk in all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so he told the church at Ephesus to walk in gentleness, walk with gentleness. And so the scriptures are absolutely clear. We are to be gentle. This is the value. This is the virtue that we are to lift up and live by. So what is gentleness exactly? What is it? Well, I want to direct your attention back to Galatians 5, verse 22 through 23, which has been our primary text for our study in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's there on your sheet for you. And hopefully you've memorized this by now. Hopefully you've memorized the nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hopefully you've memorized that. And if you haven't, you should. But when you look at gentleness, we're gonna talk about gentleness number eight and self-control number nine. Circle those two words, all right? Circle those two words. The word gentleness in the Greek is the word prates, and it is the word prates, and it means meekness or submissiveness. In Greek literature, prates was used to speak of a soothing medicine, which my mom really longed for this week, or, or a cool breeze, or a horse that had been broken and tamed, now my wife Cheryl loves riding horses. Every time she if we're riding through the countryside and she sees the horse, there's a horse, there's a horse. I want to ride the horse. Well, you can't just go off and ride on someone's horse. You're a sh- complete stranger, and of course, and you can't ride a horse unless it has been broken. You can't ride a. It's too dangerous. Here's what happens when you ride a horse that hasn't been broken. Take a look at this. I found a 25 sec- second. Yeah, that's uh, a nice YouTube setup. Video. Three, one, on, there, and they were You go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's broke. Bro. I don't think so gonna. <laughs> Once you drop, see, a wild horse is not used to having a saddle put on its back, and it's not used to carrying a person or having someone get on its back. And so, a horse has to be broken before you can ride it. Uh, if it's broken, it'll be gentle, like this, gentle and calm and safe. And that's Cheryl on a horse. Protes. Is like a broken horse. Gentleness is like a broken horse. It is power under control. It's power under control. I like the way Pastor Gary Thomas described gentleness. He said this gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. It is a strong hand with a soft touch. In fact, I like that so much, I decided to make it the first point in your outline there. Gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch, if you want to fill that in. It is power under control. And we, we see gentleness in the life of Jesus all throughout, his, all throughout the Gospels. He, we see him as being a man who is gentle. You might be familiar with the story of the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. I want you to turn to John chapter 8. You brought your Bible. But in the story, let me just kind of set it up for you. A group of scribes and Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in adultery. They bring her to Jesus. Now, in case you're wondering, a scribe was a religious Jew whose job it was to copy and study and interpret the law of Moses, which would have been the Old Testament scriptures. The law of Moses would have been the Pentateuch, or the Torah, as the Jews would call it. A scribe was someone who was akin to a lawyer. They knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were a sect of Judaism, and they believed that Jews were responsible for living by all of the more than 600 uh, Mosaic laws. They held themselves up to a very rigid and high standard. There were more than 600 mosaic laws. And the Pharisees' job was to say, you need to obey that one. You need to know this one. You need to do this one. You need to listen to this one. You need to live this one out. Make sure they lived out all the 600 commands in the, in the, in the Torah or the Pentateuch. And that's what a Pharisee did. And between the two of them, between the scribe and the Pharisee, they were, they were hyper-religious. They were hyper-religious, and so they bring this woman. They caught this woman in the act of adultery. We don't know how they caught them in the act of adultery, and I've always wondered why they didn't bring the man as well. But they bring this woman before Jesus, and they want to know what he's going to do with her. You see, back in the day, adultery was a capital offense, according to the Mosaic law. The law of Moses required that anyone who was caught in the act of adultery be stoned to death. So take a look at John chapter 8, starting in verse 3. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? You stop right there. Now, if you're wondering where it says that, where it says that adultery is punishable by death, by stoning, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, which is the fifth book in the, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22, 20, verse 22 says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. And if you jump down to verse 24, it says, and then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. So there it is. This was the law of Moses. This was the law laid down by God through Moses, and this is how the people were supposed to live. And, and if, when they failed a particular law, not all laws were punishable by death, but this one was. And if you failed this law, if you disobeyed this law, then you would be put to death. Now, fortunately, we don't live under the law any, any longer. We don't live under the law of Moses because we live under grace. Take a look at Romans six fourteen. This is not on your sheet, on your notes, but I'll put it up here for you. Paul wrote, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we don't live under the law, we live under grace. We live grace. If we lived under the law, we'd be in big trouble. And we don't live under the law because it's impossible to keep every letter of the law. And the reason we don't live under the law is because Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins. He came to pay the penalty for our failure to live according to the law. He died on a cross and therefore today, because Christ died on the cross for our sins, we live under grace. We experience grace. So getting back to our text in John chapter 8, a group of scribes and Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus caught in the act of adultery. Take a look at verse 6. And, they, and this they said to, to test him. They brought him and said, what are you going to do with him? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Circle the word test him. See, this was the test. They brought her to him. And said, what are you going to do with her? It was a test. It was more like a trap. Because you see, if Jesus didn't go along with the idea of stoning her, then they could accuse him of being an apostate Jew, a fake Jew. You say you're a Jew, but you won't abide by the law of Moses. And then if if he agreed to stone her to death, then they could accuse him of being a hypocrite because they could say to him, wait a minute, I thought you were very merciful. I thought you were all about grace. I thought you were all about forgiveness. Why do you want to stone her? Either way, it was a trap. Either way, he couldn't have given a good answer. And here's what Jesus says. Stroke of genius, verse 7. And they continued to ask him, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? They continued to ask him. And he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Would you underline that? Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. His answer was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was a stroke of genius. You see, according to the Old Testament law, let me give you some background here. According to the Old Testament law, whenever someone was condemned to death because they didn't obey the law of Moses and they were condemned to be stoned to death, the first stone that was hurled or thrown at that person was always thrown by the witness or the witnesses of what that person did. So for example, if Edna, right, and Carl, and Bobby witnessed somebody committing adultery, and they said, we saw that person commit adultery, and that is an offense punishable by death, they would be the first ones to throw the stone. That's what Old Testament required. Take a look at Deuteronomy 17, verse 6 and 7. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So you needed three Here's the key, that verse 7, the hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So if you witness someone violates a Mosaic law and that violation was punishable by death, the first three, the first three, the three witnesses, they would be the ones, they would be the first ones to throw the stone to kill that person. They would be the ones to do that. Now Jesus was aware. He was aware Uh, that the Jews knew this regulation, that they were aware of this regulation. And so he took this concept, he took this idea, and he ratcheted it up. He ratcheted it up. He raised the bar. And now in Jesus' economy, it wasn't the witnesses who could cast the first stone. It was the one who had never sinned who would cast the first stone. And so he said, he who was without sin, let let him be the first one to cast the stone. And I believe what was implied here was that they could cast the first stone only if they had done what she had done, only if they had committed adultery as well. Then you may cast the first stone. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus waited for their reply. Verse nine. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left all alone with the woman standing before him. One by one, they walked away. One by one, they just quietly dispersed and the crowd was completely gone. They all disappeared. Verse 10 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This is so good notice this. The only one who didn't walk away, the only one who didn't walk away was Jesus. Do you know why he didn't walk away? Because he was the only one among them who was without sin. He didn't have any sin. He had never committed adultery. He was absolutely sinless. He was the perfect, holy son of God. He was almighty God in human flesh, and he had never sinned. That's why he was the only one who didn't walk away. Everyone else had sinned, so they all walked away. Not only that, Because of his sinlessness, he was the only one who could cast the first stone. He was the only one who could condemn her. He was the only one who could judge her. And without batting an eye, Jesus had the power to command a lightning to come down from heaven and strike her dead. And he could have done that, and she would have been dead in an instant. He could have done that. Jesus didn't walk away because he wasn't like the others. This man was co-equal with God. He was the co-creator of the universe. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He had all this power under control. And what did he say to the woman after the crowd vanished? He responded with two questions, a statement, and a command. The two questions, verse 10 again. Woman, where are they? Where'd they go? Second question: Has no one condemned you? Here's a statement. Neither do I condemn you. Here's the command: go and sin no more. See what we see in this remarkable story, remarkable story, is a gentle Christ. It is the gentleness of Christ, a strong hand with a soft touch. Power. Power of God under control. That's gentleness. And he was the embodiment of it. He was the personification of it. Jesus was gentle. Now, one of the unspoken rules when you go riding on a subway is that you keep your hands to yourself. You keep keep yourself to yourself. You don't go touching everybody. I've ridden some subways, a bunch of subways and trains in Japan. We don't have subways here. Actually, someone told me we do have subways in L.A., I didn't know we had subways in L.A. How many of you have ridden on a subway in L.A.? Anybody here ridden on a subway? A couple of you. Have. Wow, we actually have a subway in L.A. But uh, in, in New York, riding a subway is, is just a way of life. Well, a few years ago, an artist named George Ferrandi decided to find out how New Yorkers would react if, if she, George is a she, how New Yorkers would react if, if, if she didn't observe the unspoken rule of keeping your hands to yourself. So here's what she did, she boarded a subway in New York with her photographer and collaborator who sat across from her on the subway and she pretended to fall asleep on the person next to, to her. She fell on the, you know, pretended to fall asleep on their shoulder. She wasn't really sleeping. She did, and then her photographer, you know, covertly kind of started taking pictures to see how people would react. Here are a few photos of the reaction that she got that appeared in the Atlantic Magazine. Take a look at this first photo, there's George that's her name, sitting in the middle, all right? And now she starts to fall asleep. And, and you see that lady like, who, who is this person on my shoulder? And then the third reaction, she said, I'm out of there, right? She splits, like, I am not going to, goodbye. Okay, here's the second one. So there's George on the right, and here's this lady on the left, and all of a sudden, like... <laughs> What is, your, what is your problem, lady? Observe your space. And then what does she do? She just smirks, right? Like, all right, whatever. That's not a bad reaction. Okay, here's the third one. Here's George on the right, and there's this lady on the left, and she starts to fall asleep on her. It's like, get off me. And what does she do? She's out of there. She just gets up and hightails it. What would you, what would you have done? What would you do if somebody came and started sleeping on your shoulder? I mean, a total stranger. What would you have to, how would you react? What, what if you're a man and another man comes and a stranger comes and starts snapping on your shoulder? What would you do? Well, that's exactly what happened to 65-year-old Isaac Thiel. He was heading home on the Q train to Ditmas Park, which is the neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. When a young man who was sitting next to him started, he dozed off. This wasn't fake. He, was re, he really dozed off on his shoulder. And another passenger snapped this photo, put it on the internet, and it went viral. Take a look at this. He actually fell asleep. And it went viral. And so he was contacted by the media. And he told, he was interviewed by WABC News. Um, and he told WABC News that one of the passengers there on the train asked him if he wanted him to wake the young man up. And Theo responded, no, 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 just leave him be, just leave him be. And Theo told ABC, he said, I felt his whole body on me. I really did feel for this young man who was lying on my shoulder because I knew he was exhausted. I was just trying to let the poor guy catch his Zs, as it were, and I think, I didn't even think twice about it. What an amazing response. And Theo responded like a true gentleman. How would you have responded if a guy started napping on your guy's shoulder, right? what What would you have done? You know, more than two centuries ago, Jonathan Edwards, who is considered one of our nation's greatest theologians, said this, I'll put it up here for you. He said, all who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. I like that. And I believe he's right. And he called gentleness, Jonathan Edwards called gentleness the Christian spirit. He said, it's the Christian spirit In fact, I like that so much, I decided to make that our second point, right? Gentleness is the Christian spirit. It is how we as Christ followers ought to live our lives. We ought to live it with gentleness. But that's not always the case. Sometimes Christians can be mean-spirited and self-righteous and arrogant and foul-mouthed and short-fused. Sometimes Christians can be unkind and inhospitable and abrasive and insensitive, and obnoxious. And every once in a while, I'll hear about that, or I'll see it on some social media page. Sometimes I'll hear about an interaction that took place among the brothers on the basketball court, and it's not always pretty. Or I'll see it on social media when Christ followers will will comment on something on something political political comment for example and and it can be very sometimes it's very hateful or or vindictive and it comes from both sides not just one side a couple of months ago two guys showed up uh on a saturday night in front of our church uh with picket signs and uh they were out there with a picket sign just right in front of our church like they were protesting something i don't know what they were protesting i didn't go out i didn't even go out and bother to check But I understand that two of our volunteer security team members went out there. I think Rudy was one of them. Maybe it was just Rudy. And he went out there. And I I was told that when he approached them that they were somewhat defensive and had kind of a hard edge to them. And uh, I guess they told Rudy that they came from another church. But they were out there with picket signs in front of our church. And, again, I don't know if they were picketing anything. But uh, you know what Rudy did? He greeted them warmly and invited them to come inside for our 5 o'clock service. That's what he did. And when he told me that afterwards, I didn't say this to him at the time, but I thought, you did what? You invited them to come in? And um, and then later on I thought, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. I mean, he acted in accordance with who we are. Gentleness is the Christian spirit. He acted in the way that that I should have reacted with a Christian spirit. It is gentleness of the Christian spirit. See, gentleness is, it ought to be evident in the way that we act. It ought to be evident in the way that we treat people and how we behave. Titus 3, 1 and 2, Paul, Paul wrote, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and, get this part, and always to be gentle toward everyone and always to be gentle toward everyone. Would you underline that? We're to always be gentle toward everyone, right? To everyone, no, to good people and the bad people, to nice people and the mean people, to picketers and protesters, to everyone. And thus we demonstrate gentleness by the way we act, by the way we behave. And second, we can demonstrate gentleness by the way we speak, by the words we say. Proverbs 15, 4 says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. We underline that? A gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it, in your tongue, it breaks the spirit. A a gentle tongue, I mean, let me ask you, do you have a gentle tongue? Or do you have a harsh tongue? Do you speak gentle words? Do you speak gentle words to your kids? Do you speak gentle words to your spouse? Do you speak gentle words to your parents, to your neighbors, to your employees, to your customers? Your words really matter. Gentle words are like a tree of life, but perverse words can break the spirit of a man. Perverse words can break the spirit of a woman. Perverse words can break the spirit of a teenager, a boy, or a girl. And you know what I'm talking about because perverse words have been spoken to you, I'm sure they have. And it breaks your heart, it breaks your spirit, it can crush your soul. So, gentleness is the Christian spirit and ought to be reflected in the way that we act, the way we behave, and the way we speak. You know, earlier this year, a man, a family man who attends our church um, had an incident with his neighbor. And he and his family have been coming to church for a couple years, and uh, he's, a, he's a really good guy. He, he came here a couple years ago, became a Christ follower, was baptized last year, I believe it was last year, and he had an incident with his neighbor, and so he wrote about it on his Facebook page, and he gave me permission to share it with you, and I'm not going to use his name, uh, but he titled the post, What Would You Do? What Would You Do? And here's what he wrote. I'm going to put it up here for you. He, he wrote this. So yesterday, after having breakfast with some friends, I came home and parked my truck in front of the house. A short time later, we were about to leave, and the neighbor yells at me to move my truck. Well, since we just finished a series of church called Outrageous Love, and we went over loving thy neighbor a few times, I decided to move my truck. And after I moved my truck, I went to my neighbor's house to talk to him. And he proceeded to tell me that that was his parking spot. And I told him the curb is city property and it's not his spot and anyone can park there. He told me it's not his fault that we have four cars. Yes, we have four cars. Two are in the garage, one in the driveway, and one is on the street. He has a two-car garage and two cars, none in the garage, one in the driveway and one on the street. So I should park somewhere else? The old me, he continues, the old me would have told him where to go and I wouldn't have moved my truck. But the new me is trying to follow the righteous path and follow God. So that being said, since I know that he thinks the parking spot is his, when that spot is open, should I park there or not? What would you do? By the way, the neighbor slammed the door in my face before I finished talking to him. Well, he got some pretty interesting responses. 43 replies, comments all together on his Facebook page. And I want to share a couple of them with you without any names. I didn't know who they are anyways, but here's number one, the first person said, keep parking there, he has no right to that space. Second person wrote, buy another car. (laughs) Third person wrote, I'm coming over and parking there, lol. (laughs) And this fourth person wrote, dude, you tried to be nice, but he slammed the door in your face and doesn't seem very nice, so I would park in the space if it was open. He doesn't own it. And it sounds like this one was written by someone from Hawaii, maybe Alan Hamada, (laughs) who doesn't drive very well himself. So what would you do? What would you do? Right? Well, here's what he posted after getting all those replies and mulling it over and thinking it through. Here's what he decided to do. He titled the next post. He posted this several weeks later. He titled it, Conclusion to Parking Dilemma. And I think all of us who knew about the first post were kind of anxiously looking to see what he would do. And I would check it every day, like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Well, finally, it was a couple weeks later, he posted this, and he wrote, My decision to become a Christian was also to become a better person. So that being said, why fight with my neighbor over a parking spot? What kind of example would I be setting to my kids and others? Maybe God is telling me that I need to exercise more, parking a little farther so I can walk a bit more. I may not be ready to shower my love my neighbor with love yet, but baby steps to being a better person and baby steps in my walk with Christ. Thank you, everyone, for all your comments on my post regarding my parking situation. And he closed by citing 1 Peter 2.23, and I put it up here just as he put it. Referring to Jesus, it says, who, when he was cursed, didn't curse back, when he suffered, didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That was his response. And I'm so proud of this guy. He's still a young believer, and I'll tell you his name because he says, "Okay, I'm not going to be there on Sunday. If you want to tell him my name, you can tell him my name." But I wanted everyone to know it was Terry Mura because I wanted all of you to go. If you knew him or don't know, find him. He's one of our first responders. Um, but I wanted just you, you just to give him a high five and say, "Way to go, Terry!" Because I'm so proud of that guy. And the reason why he didn't want me to share his name with you is because the thing—he's just very shy. He's like, "No, I don't want—I don't want attention." So he's very humble too but he responded like a true gentleman. And he told me that now, every time he sees his neighbor, they wave at each other. Like, hey, how's it going? How are you? Now, can you imagine if he decided to continue to park there? Imagine what they'd be doing, what the other guy would be doing with his hand every time he <laughs> saw Terry. <laughs> and it's clear, it's clear that Terry responded the way that he did because of Jesus. It was only because of Jesus. If Jesus was not in his life, he probably would not have responded that way. And I think Terry would also tell you he did it with the help of Jesus because he couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't have done it without God's help and without his power. You see, even after we become Christ followers, there's this old nature that is in us, this old self that's in us. And it's always there and it's always lurking. And it's always tugging at us saying, do it this way. Do it your way. Yell back. Cuss. Do whatever you want to do. Don't live like Jesus. Don't do it like him. It's always there. Go ahead and tell a little lie. Go ahead and take that thing that doesn't belong to you. It's always tugging away at us. And thus, gentleness doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come easily. We need God's help to do it. A couple years ago, Cheryl and I ran in a Ragnar relay race uh, through Napa Valley with a bunch of people from our church. And, and I, um, when we had a, a break, we snapped, I snapped this selfie in one of the vineyards uh, Got grape vineyards all over the place. And as you can see from the, the color uh, of the leaves, uh, it was uh, fall, I think this was November, and so the, the grapes had all been harvested and the, the leaves were all turning colors. It was really quite beautiful up there. But as you can see, the, all these grape, uh, grape vines here, the, the, actual, the actual plant, the, the vine is referred to as the, the, the trunk, actually, is referred to as the vine. And then it comes up to the top, and then all these branches sprout out of the vine. And it's on these branches that all the grapes uh, would grow. And so they would pick all the the, the grapes off there, but the, the branches are still up there, and then you see the vine. The vine can come up from the bottom, and it's spread out this way, kind of like, you know, in a Y. But that's kind of what it looks like. Now, in John chapter 15... Uh, Jesus gave us a metaphor of the vine and the branches. Turn to John chapter 15, and I want to show you just part of what he said, starting in verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, as you look at that verse, a couple things. First First of all, the word abide means, in the Greek, it means to stay in or remain in. So he said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, right? Jesus said a branch can't bear fruit unless it is connected to the vine. The branches have to be connected to the vine. In the same way, we can't bear fruit, spiritual fruit, unless we are connected to the vine. And here's what Jesus said about that. Verse five, the next verse. He said, I am the vine, and you, we, are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus said that he was the vine, and we are the branches. Unless we, and unless we are connected to the vine, unless we are connected to him, that we can't, then we can't bear any spiritual fruit. We can't do anything without him. In other words, you can't bear spiritual, the spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. We can't bear those fruits without being connected to Jesus. It is impossible because that sin nature continues to reside in us. So, write this one down gentleness. Gentleness comes from being closely connected to Jesus, it comes from being attached to the vine. And that explains how Terry was able to respond to his neighbor the way that he did because he was connected to Jesus. And that's why it's so important to come to church every single weekend because one of our goals, one of our aims when we preach and when we worship is to get you connected to the vine so that when you leave here and you, you meet somebody like a cantankerous neighbor who says you can't park in that spot, you, because you're connected to the vine, you will know how to respond to that person. But if you're not, not connected to the vine, you're not connected to Jesus, you're going to, you'll do what I did at Denny's. You'll let that person have it. Because, um, because our sin nature is still there. So come to church. So the question that I have for you is how connected are you to Jesus? Are you connected to Jesus at all? See, the truth is we can't bear fruit without him. It's too hard. Right? And that's why uh, our old self wants to be in control and we got to give God the control. If you're not already connected to Jesus, get connected with him today. I want you to, today, before you leave, just tell him, Lord, I I need you. God, I need you. God, I need your power. I need your presence in my life. God, I need, help me to stay connected to you so that I can bear fruit in my life, so that I can be the person you want me to be. Say that to him today. Don't leave without telling him, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need your power and your presence so I can be gentle. I hope you'll say that to him today. Well, finally, you, you notice that the you probably notice that the last fruit in the the list of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians five twenty three, is self control. And I ask you to circle that. Self control is the Greek word ekartia, and it means. And I love the definition of ekartia. It means self control that proceeds out from inside of you, and it is not of you. Self control is is that which proceeds out from inside of you, but it is not of you. In other words, self-control proceeds out of you, and it can only, only be accomplished by the power of God. It is not of you. It can only be accomplished by the power of God. In other words, only God can give you self-control. Only God can give you self-control. And here's the significance of self-control, or ekrateia: It is the driver of all the other fruits. It is because of self-control that you are able to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness and gentleness. But with, and with it, we can bear all kinds of fruit. Without it, we can't bear anything. With it, we can bear bushelfuls of fruit. So that's your final point. Write that one down. Gentleness comes from having self-control. It comes from having self-control. It takes self-control to say, I'm not gonna go on that website. I'm not gonna look at porn. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say what I'm thinking I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna lash, I'm not gonna do what I feel like I wanna do to get even. I'm not gonna take self-control. And that's what gentleness is, that's what the fruit of the spirit is. It is power under control, it is strong hand with a soft touch, it is the Christian spirit, and it all comes from being closely connected to Jesus. So I'd ask you this, how, how will you react? How will you react when you go to a restaurant and you're not served promptly? How, would you, how will you react when, when the server is not very nice? How will you react when you encounter a bigot or a racist? How will you react when a total stranger all of a sudden starts napping on your shoulder? Well, I don't expect you to put your arm around them and pat them like this, but, but how will you react? How will you react when your neighbor tells you that's his parking space and don't you dare park there and he slams a door in your face? How will you react? Well, how will you react when someone wrongs you or hurts you or pushes your buttons or cuts you off or gets in your face? Well, you can react like I reacted. You can get up and start yelling and screaming. You can push back. You can let loose. You can let them have it. Or you can respond with gentleness, gentleness, power under control, strong hand, soft touch. I hope that's what you'll do because it's the Christian spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for reminding us today. Of how it is that we really ought to be living our lives. And Father, I, I'll be the first one to admit, it's not easy. It's not easy being a Christian. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier to just go out there and cut loose and fight back. Choose somebody else. Choose somebody out. Tell them where to go when they push our buttons. It's a lot harder to maintain self-control and to be gentle in a world that's not very gentle. God, I thank you so much for these people. I thank you so much for what you're doing in, in each and every one of our lives. And God, we want to come to you today. And if there's somebody here today, Lord, who's never been connected to you, who hasn't been connected to you, maybe they've been a Christ follower for a long time and they're just not really attached to you. God, draw draw them to Yourself. Lord Jesus, You are so gentle. You are so merciful that even when a woman was caught in adultery, You didn't condemn her, but You just loved on her, and You just forgave her. God, help us to be gentle. God, I pray that everyone here would get connected to You. Maybe somebody who's done something really bad, get connected to Jesus he loves you with all your heart. So Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gentleness that we see in Christ. Now I pray that it would be seen in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.